What's up, everyone? How's everyone doing this morning? Great? Sweet. Um, so I'm going to start off with the announcements. I don't think we have much, but on September 17th, I don't know what day that is, uh, Pastor Jay from Sower's Ministry will be here to give us an update and a, and a sermon on uh, what's going on down at India. And so if you can, be here on September 17th and we'll, um, we'll all be here to support him. Um, another announcement that I believe is crucial and important is to announce that uh, our youth pastor, Chauncey, back there doing the sound and the video, he has many hats on, um, is, uh, has a youth uh, night for families and youth. So it's not just youth, but it's for the families and the youth, and it's a good time to really get together and, and uh, play games and have fun, and it's just really a time of bonding and fellowship, and um, yeah, it's great. So it's, that starts at 5 o'clock on Saturdays. 5 o'clock on Saturdays ends at 7, should end at 7. I don't know. Depends. Depends how much fun you're having. All right. And I think that's it for the announcements. I don't think I missed anything else. Um, oh, and one other thing. I'm filling in for Pastor Steve today. He's uh, a little under the weather. So if you guys uh, would just uh, lift him up in prayer um, in your own time. And so if you have a Bible, we're going to be in our Bibles. Um, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 18. I'm going to continue going through the gospel because that's what we've been doing on Wednesdays. I think I got, I, I believe I taught two weeks ago. Um, and that's what we've been doing on Wednesday nights is that we've been going through the gospel, not uh, in chronological order, meaning we're jumping from Matthew to Mark to Luke to John because that's kind of how it goes. And so we're going to be in Matthew chapter 18. If you don't have a Bible, there are Bibles. Our ushers are in the back and they will pass one out to you just in case. Okay. So I'm going to start off by reading the Word of God. Amen? You guys are there? Okay, cool. It says this in 18 verse 1, At that time the disciples came to Jesus and said, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And he called a child to himself and set him before them. Verse 3 says, And said, Truly I say to you, Unless you are converted and become like children, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever then humbles himself as this child, he is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Verse 5 says, And whoever receives one, uh, one ch such child in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for him to, to have a heavy millstone hung around his neck and to be drowned into the, into the depth of the sea. Little harsh. Verse 7, Woe to the world because of its stumbling blocks. For it is inevitable that stumbling blocks come, but woe to the man through whom the stumbling block comes. If your hand or your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it from you. It is better for you to enter life crippled or lame than to have two hands or two feet, and be cast into the eternal fire. By the way, Jesus talks a lot about hell. Verse 9, if your eye causes you to stumble, 
He says to pluck it out and throw it far from you. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and be cast into the fiery hell. See that, you not de- see that you do not despise one of these little ones, for I say to you that their angels in heaven continually see the face of my Father who is in heaven. Verse 11 says, For the Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. What do you think if any man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray? Does he not leave the ninety-nine? On the mount- Wait, does he not leave the 99 on the mountains and go and search for the one that is straying? If it turns out that he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over the 99 which have not gone astray. Verse 14 says, So it is not the will of your Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones shall perish. Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for this time this morning to worship you, but worshiping is not just in song and in singing, but it is even reading through your word, Lord God. And so I pray, Father, that there would be a epic, divine move of your spirit this morning. I pray that you would speak to our hearts, Lord, and change us from the inside out, Lord God, and I just ask that you would stir up something amazing within us, Lord, so that we would leave here today not just encouraged, Lord God, but continuous worship, Lord, as we go out these doors. Church isn't in here. Church starts out there. And so help us to be the salt and the light that you've called us to be as a community, as a church, as an individual. And I praise you, Lord God, for who you are and everything that you're doing here at Calvary Chapel pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, a while back, um, I gave an illustration, kind of a while, and sorry if this is like a little bit all over the place. I had a few, few hours. Um, a while back, I gave an illustration of the iceberg. Anybody know what an iceberg? Yeah? So, my wife and I went to Alaska for our honeymoon, and uh, when we got married, honeymoon, uh, we got to go and see the magical glaciers. Nothing too crazy. Um, kind of now on our way there, uh, we passed by many icebergs. Like, they're just there. We're in the boat, kind of driving around, and they're just there, kind of sticking out of the water. And so if you know anything about them, see, what you actually see on the surface of the water is only about 10 to 20% of the ice. Anybody knew that? Yeah? Now, what you don't see is actually 80 to 90% of the ice beneath the surface. And so I think most of us here, probably all of us, almost all of us, knows what happened to the Titanic. So in the process of building this boat, I don't believe in my heart that the builders and designers had their hopes on sinking the ship, right? Absolutely not. Nobody builds a boat in hoping that it's going to sink. Like, I'm going to build this boat, and I'm going to spend all my time and effort, and once it gets out in the water, I hope it lands on the bottom. Nobody says that. That's wild. See, people build boats or whatever they may be building to last. That's why people build. And yet, we know how the story goes. No matter how hard the steel was or the metal or the reinforced walls or the screws that they may have used, I have no idea how people build boats. It was no match no match 
against the sheer density and the size of the berg. Now, the reason why I use this illustration many Wednesdays ago and why I'm using it here uh, for us this morning, uh, because I think it is a clear, um, it is a great illustration um, that describes what we all know as the human heart. It, it was really a picture of what lies beneath the surface, right? And, and what Jesus will often do out of his great love for us, because he loves us, because he's a loving father, a caring shepherd, is he will expose the things that we might not be able to see. That's what light does. Light always pushes darkness back. Light always extinguishes darkness and reveals to us what we could not see before. And when he does this or when he does that, and usually it's when we read the word of God, it is never, listen to me, it is never, ever, ever, ever to shame us, all right? Never. Never to shame us, but to only show us the dangers that lie ahead, okay? When he does this, it is never to shame any of us, but to only show us the dangers that are ahead, to show us the very things that might punch a hole through our boats, this illustration was for us to see that the real dangers, and for, the, for that Wednesday, that real dangers in life isn't out there, but it's right here. Okay, one more time. The danger in life, the real dangers, is not out there, it's right in here. The dangers of life is within us. If you don't believe me, because you're looking at me like you don't believe me, maybe you'll believe Jeremiah. He said this in 17, chapter 17. He said, the heart our heart is deceitful above all things. He said, it is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? This is why when I talk to people or I get to talk to people, I will never, ever tell anybody to follow their hearts. Why? Because the human heart would do everything your human heart, my heart, will do everything in its beating muscle to make you believe you're the one who's right. When he says it's deceitful, it means it lies to you. This is why the world is the way it is today. You get to decide for yourself what love is. This why I say love is love. Like you get to decide for yourself what joy is. You get to decide for yourself what life is. And yet the Bible clearly says that there is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, it only leads to death. This means God has created life, this life, in such a way to not lead to death, but to lead to life. He has designed the Christian life to flourish over time and not decay, right? We're not moving backwards, we're going forward. And this isn't just individually, but he called us to do this together. This is a together thing. Like you're not in it by yourself, we're doing this together. And this will always be a together thing. And I'm seriously praying on, I think, seriously praying on what that would look like in the future. So please pray for your boy, for us. Now, um, in context, in Matthew chapter 4, 
uh, it says that Jesus was going around Galilee. He said, and, and what he was doing was preaching the gospel of the kingdom. So you guys look at Matthew chapter 4. It says that Jesus was going around Galilee to all the synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom. This means that Jesus didn't just go around only performing signs and wonders. But what he did is he went around teaching the people about what the kingdom of God looks like. And not only what it looks like, but what the people in his kingdom look like. So Jesus is basically saying this, this is what my people look like in my kingdom. Amen? And to expound on all this, you see, it bleeds into chapter 5. He goes into what the Bible calls the Sermon on the Mount. Anybody here know the Sermon on the Mount? Everybody knows the Sermon on the Mount. Everybody knows it. Like even unbelievers have the Beatitudes hanging in their wall somewhere. I swear I went to my friend's house and he's an unbeliever and he had the Beatitudes on his wall. And yet scholars, most scholars say it is one of the most well-known sermons and I just took a poll and yeah, it is. It's one of the most well-known sermons recorded in the Bible but they also say it is also the least obeyed. It is the most well-known sermon in the Bible, but it is also the most least obeyed. Why? Because the kingdom, this kingdom, God's kingdom, doesn't operate like any worldly kingdom. They would say that God's kingdom is actually like this upside-down kingdom. In fact, I'll tell you, he begins with the Beatitudes, uh, and he says this, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Anybody hear that one? Right? Blessed are the poor in spirit. He didn't say, blessed are the rich. He didn't say, blessed are the wealthy. He said, blessed those who are poor. Blessed are those who are lowly. You see, what Jesus is trying to say in this first beatitude, it says, blessed are those who don't think they got it all together. That's what he's saying. Blessed are those who don't think they've arrived yet. Blessed are those who don't think they're self-sufficient. But he's saying, blessed are those who are exhausted right now. He said, blessed are those who are saying, I don't got this. That's what that's saying. Blessed are the ones that are saying, I'm tired. Blessed are the ones that are saying, I'm over it right now. Blessed are the ones who say, dang it, it got me again. He's saying it's the ones who finally come to the end of themselves. And in that moment, Jesus is saying, oh my gosh, David, finally. Like, there it is. Now put your faith in me. Follow after me. You see, this world despises, completely despises the idea of being poor and needy and glorifies the person who is made and independent, right? Jesus is saying, not in my kingdom. Uh-uh. My people are poor in spirit, not proud. They are meek, not arrogant. Peacemakers, not contentious. Merciful and not quick to judge. And it is there where Jesus says, blessed are you. Blessed are you. And so oftentimes people see this word blessed and they believe it to mean happy, right? Like we think blessed means happy, but how can Jesus say blessed are those who mourn? Happy, happy are those who are sad? The reason why we think happy is because we associate this word blessing with kind of having nice things, 
This is how we were groomed. We associate this word blessing with a feeling, but this word blessed is not only a feeling, but it is something declared over you and I this morning. This word bless actually means to be well off. So it's not just happy are you, but more importantly, Jesus is saying well off are you. Well off are you when you go this way. Well off are you when you follow after me. This means that living out the Christian life is not based off of feeling, but off of what the Word of God says. I'm going to say that one more time. Living out the Christian life is not based off of, off of our feelings, but off of what the Word of God says. And oftentimes, the Word of God will go against all of man's desires, every time. And so it may not always feel right to give up your life, but he says that's when you'll find it. And the list goes on and on and on. You want peace? You have to surrender. You want to get? You have to give. You want to gain? You have to sacrifice. You want to live? You have to die. It's upside down. Jesus is teaching his disciples from day one that the way up is down. And oftentimes what this will do is reveal certain things in our lives. Things in our lives that have nothing to do with the kingdom of God. Absolutely nothing. In fact, if left alone, it will bleed into or start to bleed, start to go into my relationship with Jesus and my relationship with others. And so in Matthew 18, it begins by his disciples asking Jesus a question, right? That's what verse 1. In Matthew 18, it begins by Jesus, uh, it begins by his disciples kind of asking Jesus uh, a question. It, it says, who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? That's the question, Right? Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? You see, what they were asking, really asking Jesus was, which one of us is the greatest? Come on, pick. I can already hear Peter. I walked on water. Right? And so what does he do? Jesus calls over a child, and he goes, boop. He says right here, this is the greatest in the kingdom. And he says this in this verse, in the verse, in I think verse three. It says verse three, he says, until you are converted, right? Not reverted, converted, and become like children, he says, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. What he is really saying to them is this you need to change your thinking. What he's saying is this, until you change the way that you see greatness, until you change the way that you see success in my kingdom, you have no place. You will not be able to enter. Why? Why would Jesus say that? Because his disciples were only concerned about one thing. Themselves. They were only concerned about themselves. And in this text, and even to us, Jesus is saying to us that the kingdom of God is not about you. 
it is not about you. It's about God. And this child represents what it truly means to be the greatest in my kingdom. You see, we all started off as children. I'm sure most of us. Like we all started off as children, depending on our parents to take care of us. But as we grow older, we're taught by the world, we're taught to move out and become what? Independent. We're taught to become independent people. But I believe in God's kingdom, it is the exact opposite. Until the day that you and I got saved, we were living independently from God. Amen? And so as we mature in our relationship with Jesus, do we grow apart from our need from him? No. We should be growing more dependent of him. To his disciples and to us right now, Jesus is saying greatness, greatness and success in my kingdom isn't about your ranking, it's about your relationship. It's not about position, it's about people. It's about rightly relating to me so that you can rightly relate to others. That's how it works. But Jesus is saying, if you are following me only, but if following me is only about what you can get out of this and how it will benefit you, then God has only become a means of getting what I want or getting to where I, w I need to go. It's basically just using God for what I need and what I want. Jesus wants his disciples to see that true life is God-centered and others-oriented. That's what true living looks like. True life is God-centered and others-oriented. See, the more we th only think about ourselves here, the more it rots out our souls. I'm going to say that again. The more we only think about ourselves, the more it will rot out our souls. Even psychologists, I looked this up, say that people who are only self-centered often feel threatened and anxiously insecure about others. That's like secular studies. And it like lines up exactly what he's trying to say. Like how tormenting is that? Right? So like this isn't the first time his disciples argued about this issue. Like they are always fighting about who's the greatest. Like this isn't the first time. This kind of selfish ambition, self-seeking motive, motives in this group only cause jealousy rivalry, and a contentious spirit. And so any type of self-oriented, life is all about me, what can I get out of this, doesn't only affect you, but Jesus is saying it can affect the people around you. It spreads like a fire. And so he uses a child as an example of who's the greatest in his kingdom. He's saying not only are they trusting, not only are they teachable, not only are they independent or dependent, but he's saying they are also what? Humble by nature. Jesus is saying pride and selfish ambition 
is the iceberg. Let me say that one more time. Pride and selfish ambition is the iceberg. And this will eventually destroy you and it will destroy the people around you. Why? Because we weren't designed to live for ourselves. We weren't made that way. God designed life to work in such a way where we would grow together as a body. You see, the definition of humility isn't thinking less about yourself. That's not what that means. You have great value here in God's kingdom. I mean, he didn't just die for nothing. Humility isn't thinking less about yourself. It's thinking about yourself less. That's all it is. Maybe not even thinking about yourself at all. You see, when Jesus gave the two greatest commandments to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor, what he's really saying is life begins to flourish when God and others become more important than you. Like, can you even imagine what kind of place this would be right now? If everybody here only looked out for each other. Like, what would it look like if everyone here only thought about the next person? Only had their best interests in mind. Only wanting to see them succeed, to see them grow, to see them flourish. That's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, I didn't call you to be stumbling blocks here in the church. I called you to be stepping stones. To build each other up. To look out for each other. To work with one another. To be there for those in need. To give to those who don't have. It's hard to give when you're only trying to get. It is hard to give when you're only trying to get. We weren't made to live for ourselves, amen? And so last week, um, I got to speak at this island's uh, annual youth rally thing. That was a cool, that was pretty cool. Uh, it, it, was a, it was amazing to kind of see the next generation that's coming up in, um, under the Bible Belt. And so for me, I've never worked with the youth ministry before. And so I didn't know what to expect from this place. I doubted myself. I doubted them, thinking these kids, these children wouldn't get it. Uh, that the message or the sermon, yeah, you can ask my wife. I was just like, oh my goodness, what am I, I'm going to blow it that this sermon was going to be too hard to understand, and yet, when I went there, it was the exact opposite. You see, what happened at the end of this sermon is that these children responded to the invitation, all of them. And not only responded, you know what I seen? I seen them grabbing their friends, like, come on, you're getting prayer. Like, it was like that. Right? And it's not me. I'm not saying that's me. I'm not trying to say anything about, I'm trying to say this, this is what I seen happen. Like, this is middle school. I don't even know what I was doing in middle school. <laughs> and so what I seen that night wasn't only what Jesus was talking about in this passage, that children are teachable, that children are vulnerable, that children are easily trusting, but you know what happened? They understood the sermon. They understood the message. 
And the message was this, hey, if there's anything in your life you might be struggling with today or dealing with today, give it to the Lord. Why? Because he wants it. He wants it. And oftentimes humility will look like this. This is what humility looks like. It will cause us to step back and to see where we might have gone off. It will cause us to step back and say, I've been so foolish in this area. What I seen that night was middle schoolers and high schoolers with repenting hearts. Middle school, high school. And so how much more should we here examine ourselves? Jesus is saying in this passage, sin, sin, left alone, will eventually hurt you and the people around you. You see, he ends this section with teaching us that the, about the parable of the lost sheep. And, and this parable was not only meant to show us one specific, uh, this parable was actually meant, most parables are only meant to show us one specific truth. We're not supposed to dissect them and kind of like, um, but they convey one specific thing. And the truth is that if you're struggling with something today, any of you, Jesus knows like, that's scary, but it's also comforting. You see, Jesus knows, he knows, and he sees, and he doesn't say, oh my gosh, here we go again. Like, I didn't know you're capable of such behavior. He doesn't say that. No, it says that he sees and knows, and he knows what you're dealing with, and he still wants you. And it says, when he finds that lost sheep, he rejoices over it. Like, I don't think I've ever heard the gospel preached that way. I've always thought God to be some kind of cosmic cop out to get me. Like, it says he rejoices over you. Like, did you ever hear that? This is by his, by his kindness we were led to repentance. This parable is saying that Jesus comes after you time and time and time and time and time again. Not to condemn you, not to shame you, but to show you that life is with him and him alone. And it says that he rejoices, you, rejoices over you this morning. He looks at you and he sees you and he rejoices. Amen? if we can have the worship team. Sorry for such a quick sermon. <clears throat> Today's communion. Are you going to play one song? Or we're going to invite them up first? Yeah, okay. So um, as we partake of the Lord's Supper this morning, uh, we remember that Jesus Christ is the embodiment of what humility looks like. And so it says that in Philippians 2 that he emptied himself, all right? So Jesus emptied himself. It says, taking the form 
of a servant and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, it says that he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. It says that when Jesus came to his own people in John 1, they didn't even recognize him. He was overlooked, he was despised, he was rejected. And so the next time you feel like you're getting the cold shoulder, they did it to Jesus first. And on the way to the cross, it says that he was mocked, he was beat, and he was tortured. Jesus was rejected and humiliated by his own people so that when we put our faith in him, we are now accepted and welcomed by the Father. You and I are all children of God. So let us remain dependent, teachable. Let us remain simple and humble towards God and his people. Amen? So if you guys could just gather and we're just going to partake together.